So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Jose, you can come on up. I feel like Britney Spears. Anybody look? And maybe you don't know who that is, but <laughs> um, I will. I will. I'll use those. I've got to grip this thing around my back. Now I know what Marcus feels like trying to get this thing on. Um, sorry for my southern accent. So if you hear me, my southern accent come out, that's because I'm a little nervous, but I'm not, I don't speak like a southern normally. I did grow up, however, in Texas. I am a Texas boy. Anybody ever been to Texas? Yeah, it's about the size of half the country. It's awesome. Um, well, I'm just so for those of you that do not know, I am a recovering youth pastor. Yeah, I'm a recovering youth pastor. I spent 20 years uh, in as a vocational youth minister. Good, good thing I'm not that short. <coughs> Sorry. All right. Um, I I uh, I spent the last 20 years uh, working with uh, churches, working with our military, primarily military teenagers and and, and civilians in the military providing youth ministry to them. And before that, I experienced a calling to ministry uh, that happened when I was a junior in high school. And when I was a junior in high school, one of the weirdest things happened to me as well. I moved from Texas. So if you, you guys imagine leaving your childhood home, everything you knew, I left Texas. And Texas is a big, big country. I say big country because every, everything in Texas, you feel like it's a big country. Everybody feels like everything is bigger and better and badder and best. There's, uh, the Patriots don't exist. The Cowboys do, you know, I was, I grew up in the nineties and the eras, in the eras when, uh, when, uh, when we were winning things. So, you know, so, um, but one of the, one of my first experiences, uh, with min, with full-time youth ministry happened with, uh, when I moved from Texas and moved to the little state in the center, center of our country called Ohio. That's where I was born. That's where I, I graduated high school in Ohio. And I, when I went to, went to Ohio, how many of you guys are, um, let's say, uh, north on the life scale? Like above the, yeah, above, I don't want to add, I guess, above 50, above 50, above 50. Okay, just 50. I met for the first time in youth ministry, I had a full-time youth pastor, and he turned 50 when I was a junior in high school. He turned 50. And I remember this because we bought him 50, 50 bottles of, of Mountain Dew because he loves Mountain Dew. And he's still to this day, he's 75 or so, 70-something. And he still loves Mountain Dew. And he's still, he has like 20 grandkids. And he, this guy introduced me to what it was like to live in youth ministry. But what he also introduced me was to, to was the character of God wrapped up in this 50-year-old youth pastor. He'd been doing that for He'd been doing youth ministry for close to, I guess at that time, 35 years or so. And he loved it, and he, it was his calling. It was his gifting. It was something that he really loved. But he took me, 
he took little old Jose, which is not a, it's not a Scandinavian name. Uh, he took little, little old me to the north woods of northern Minnesota. Anybody been to the northern Minnesota and north woods? Yeah, Minnesota. I lived in Minnesota, so I can say that too. But he took me up there with, a, with some, some of the kids he was discipling from the youth group. And we went on. I had my first wilderness canoe trip with him as a junior summer between my junior and senior year of high school. And on that trip is where I, I felt and I believed that God would, had changed my calling from being a medical professional, which would have not worked. <laughs> Looking back now, God is sovereign. He knows what he's doing. Just like he said, he does know what he's doing. And he... Uh, he encouraged me. He, he empowered me. He basically gave me the best roadmap that I could ever ask for. But on that trip, you mentioned lightning in Job, right? You mentioned lightning in Job. If it's canoeing and living in the, in the boundary waters for seven days, you, you, there's a pattern of wilderness um, clouds, storms, rain that happened almost every night. Every night there would be a storm that would roll across, roll across the lakes, and would it would be a brief crackling thunderstorm that would just be crackling, and you'd see lightning outside your tent and through the trees, hear the rain and wind, and then it'd pass on. Well, about, we, had to, we had to pack out. This was our last day to pack out. We packed everything up. About 4 in the morning we start canoeing because we had a, a whole six-hour canoe out to get out. And uh, we, we finished one of our last portages. We got onto this medium-sized lake, uh, probably not, not as big as Newfound Lake, where's, where I work right now down in the, down in the south here from here. Uh, but it was, it was a pretty large lake and we were canoeing and then 4.30 in the morning, lightning starts showing up. So we all know what's happening. So we pull our canoes over to, over to a shore. We hop out of our canoes. As we're hopping out of our canoes, the, the sky changes. It's, it's as if there become this, lightning vortex that just starts swirling around this little lake. And literally, I, I remember as a, a junior in high school looking up and going, what is that? And I've been on, and I've lived in Texas. A lot of thunderstorms would come through and you, they'd pass through. It'd be scary, but you got your shelter, you got your house, right? So I sat on the, I sat on the shores holding my toilet paper. (Laughter) Right, so hunkered down right, right next to a fallen tree. Everybody was spread out because we didn't want to be close to each other because you didn't want, if one was going to get hit, not all of us were going to get hit, you know? So we're, we're, we're all like, you could see us on this right kind of like 100 feet in, to, in, from the, in from the water. We could see our metal canoes. That's why we got off the lake. And, uh, and, and, but the grandeur of what I saw, I can only describe to you in ways that John in the in Revelations describes to us about the coming of the Lord. And it was awe-inspiring. It was spectacular. There was very little rain with this lightning thunderstorm that happened. There was some wind, some rain. I was hunkered with my rain poncho, holding my, holding my uh, roll of toilet paper, and I just saw lightning chasing its tail in a spectacle that I'll, I, I will never, never forget. That is when I realized that I am, I am smaller than I thought I was. I am super small. I am at the mercy of the creator. I'm at the mercy of a God I, I do believe is all-powerful, is all-knowing, is all-encompassing. 
Last week, uh, Marcus, for those of you, for those of you that are new here this week, you know, for who come, who come from uh, all over New England, welcome, welcome to church, welcome to Church in the Mountains, and it's a great community to be a part of. My wife and I uh, sought sought out when we moved here, sought out this community. Uh, we really love uh, the church, the community of outdoor enthusiasts, the people that love experiencing God in the in the outdoors, and we do that on the mountains. In the winter, we do that on the mountain in the summer, and we get to be together here to refresh ourselves and come and encourage each other. So I love that part of what we do for our church. But last week, Marcus said, God loves you not because you're, anybody remember? Not because you are lovable. He doesn't love you just because because you are lovable. He loves you because he is love. He is love. All right, and this week I, I'm t- I want to focus on a little bit on God's holiness. So at the end of Ephesians chapter 4, you will see um, chapter 4, verse uh, 24. I'm sorry here, sorry. Chapter 4, verse 24, you can turn, look in your bulletins. That last, the last couple of verses there, chapter 4, verse 24, 23 and 24. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, verse uh, verse 24, uh, which in the likeness, oh wait, let me read it out of the version here. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So the, to be made new in the attitude of your, of your, of your minds, and then to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Did you guys know that holiness, the idea of holiness, appears over 600 different times in the Bible? This idea that God is holy. And there, I got four, I got, if, you want, if you want to write these down, you can, you don't have to. But 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2, talks about God. No one like, there is no one like the Lord. 1 Samuel 2, verse 2. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides thee, besides God, nor is there any rock like our God. In Leviticus 19.2, it says, Be holy, for I am holy. So the character of God, if he is love, he is also holiness. So he's, he's, he is holy. He is first and foremost holy. 1 Peter 1.15-16 also says, it says this, 15 and 16, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You shall be holy because I am holy. You're not holy because you did anything. You're holy because he is holy, because God is the holiness of the epitome of all of that. Um, the in in that uh, display of lightning and thunder that I experienced, I can I've only I've only ever, ever in my life encountered encountered the living God. In a way that that uh, many some of you may understand, some of you have been uh, have had an experience similar to this. Certainly, you guys have uh, experiencing the holiness of God and knowing that it is good and knowing that it is pure and knowing that it is powerful. When I uh, was involved in a car accident, uh, shortly after that last experience I had, where, I, where three junior high students almost died in my care. Uh, it was an unfortunate car accident. Nobody died. Everybody, was, everybody walked away. Uh, 
But I do remember walking away from that time in my life saying, God, you've kept me here for a reason. There's some reason I'm here. There's some purpose that's greater than I could ever explain or ever understand. And it's the only other time that I saw God in such a powerful way in my life say, you're right where you are, right where I need you to be. There's nothing, there's nothing you can do. This, this, this is a phrase that we would use with our kids when, we were, when they were growing up. There's nothing you can do that will make you, me love you less. This is, this is not the end. This is the beginning of my journey with you. Walking around, uh, I spent a lot of time in the, in the woods. How many of you guys spend a lot of time in the woods? Yeah, it's a lot of time in the wilderness, outdoors, I guess, in the woods. I spent a lot of time, a lot of time thinking and pondering uh, life in the, in the woods, in the wilderness, sleeping in, under the stars, sleeping in snow. I love snow. That's why I'm here. It's part of the reason I'm here. You pray for snow. Uh, keep praying for it. But there's, uh, there's, this, there's this quote by Abraham Kuyper. His name is Abraham Kuyper. He's an, I guess he's an old guy. Um, um, it says, there is not a square inch, and a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, mine. Now, the way I, the way I kind of put it in the colloquial, the uh, language of, of common man like myself, is there is not one square inch of God's entire creation in which he does not cry out, this is mine. This belongs to me. This is our God who says that. And one of the, one of the things I used to tell teenagers all the time, because teenagers, one of the, one of the major characteristics, characteristics of teenagers that carries on conveniently to adulthood is the fact that I am the center of the world. I am not, not, we say this about ourselves, that teenagers just embody it and more boldly. Adults just hide it better. We just put it down better. But that I am the center of the world, and I'm the only thing that matters. But if you, if you think about what that really means, what God is actually saying, or when he says, this is mine, this belongs to me, it takes me back to uh, the story of the scientist, uh, the great scientist, who, who one day calls, calls, uh, calls a presence with God and says, God, I can do man better. I can make man better. Then you can, and God's like, he's entertaining him. He's like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll let you challenge me. You know, okay, you can challenge me. And the scientist, the scientist says, all right, here's what I would do. And God's like, tell me, what would you do? You know, I'm, I'm, wait, oh, I'm waiting for the, the punchline. And, uh, and the scientist goes, well, first, you made so many mistakes. I'm, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix this. So he, he goes down. He's like, he, I'm going I'm to grab, I'm going to get this dirt, put it up here on my table, start working it, putting some water to it. And God, God's sitting back, and, his, and he, he says, he, wait, scientist, wait, hold on. Some guy who thinks he knows more, he says, hold. He's, he says one thing to the scientist. He goes, get your own dirt. Get your own dirt. <laughs> so that's, that's my dirt. I made that. You get your own. So the idea is that, Everything belongs to him. We included belong to him. 
And we are, if, if you read the account in, in Genesis, Genesis 1, if you just read Genesis 1, if you just read Genesis 1, 26, 27, 20, read that part of it, and you will see that the epitome, if you read it out of context, you won't understand that we're the pinnacle of God's creation on earth. But you, you will understand that this, he calls you good. He calls everything he creates is good. Everything points, and Marcus, Marcus does this every time you see him, on, every time we talk on the mountain, every time in the summer we're on the mountain, he says, the trees are praising. The mountains are praising God because they, they all do what they were intended to do. That, they can't do anything else. They can't do anything else. We are the only people, only thing that God created that has that option. And he, for us to not understand that God is saying you are his, but you cannot be holy apart from him. Holiness is something that is solely reserved for God. In Psalm chapter 46, verse 10, it says, Be still and know that I am holy. Be still and know that I am holy. And know that I am God. Know that I have a plan. Um, a couple interesting things that Billy and Troy said uh, was, you were talking about the experience, and many of us who've had experiences have had not same, the same experiences, but have had struggles, had, have had wrestlings with God in our lives. But a year later, we're able to, we're able to look back through the, the trying times, or 10 years later, or 20 years later, whether it's kids, grandkids, or, or mothers or fathers or grandparents, whatever that tr- the trials you experienced as, as, as a family, we're able to look back a lot of times in retrospect. And she used a couple words. She, she used good and best. She used, you, know, you probably know, know that you used it, but you, she actually said God is still good. God is good, which is, the, which is the theme, if you will, of Job. God is still good. He is still holy. And she, she used the word best in the context of brain tumors. It's the best type of brain tumor. And I sat, I was sitting there thinking, is that really the, I mean, best type? I don't know, maybe <laughs> the best type of brain tumor. The idea that something is, is something meant to kind of maybe tear us apart or maybe hurt us or maybe challenge our faith, we would think, can be said of one, at one point in the future. That's the best thing that happened to me. Gave me purpose. Gave me, gave, gave me direction. And when you think of Ephesians, when we go back to the, the passage in Ephesians, if you look prior to this, this, the, the section of Scripture, if you have your, if you have your Bibles, and, and this is one of uh, the letters that Paul, who, for those of you that don't know, Paul was a rabbi. He was a Jewish teacher. Even though he persecuted Christians, and we talk about his transformation, many of us talk about, you know, the road to Damascus with Paul. But Paul was an authority on the Old Testament scriptures in the eyes of all of the people in the land. He was a rabbi. So he is teaching, and before this, he says, he talks about children and verses, uh, being, I'm going to make sure I... But I'm not sure I'm working the right one here. Right, he talks about the children until we all, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. 
And that in verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed, away, tossed around by every doctrine of the wind. We are no longer to be like children, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. We are to mature in all aspects into, into Christ, who is the head, for whom the whole body, for who you were created for. We are no longer to be like children, letting doctrine sh- shift. There's a doctrinal shift in our country for a lot. I mean, not just, not theologically necessarily, but there is a societal change. There's things are happening. Things are, and we can isolate ourselves up here in the mountains and say, "Not nah, doesn't affect us." It does, it does, and we have to we have to teach our children. We have to work with our neighbors and love our neighbors. And we are a church that talks about and does loving our community well. And and as we continue to uh, work together and love together, we will know what it is like to be holy, because God promises, "Be holy." Because I am holy, for I am holy. And he, and he says, and there's one concept, that I, there's one very, very relevant concept in this, what, which I call the greatest story ever told or ever lived. And you guys alluded to it when you talked about your trial, that we're, this story that we get to live is the greatest story ever lived, ever told, ever to be a part of is this idea that it is one thing that we want from our kids, that I want from my kids. I have, I have uh, three teenagers or one young adult and two teenagers. Um, we want from our kids is one thing. Anybody got it? Huh? Love. Okay. That might be it. Anybody else have any other thoughts? Trust. Those are all good. Shucks, I didn't think of those. Respect. Shucks, I'm really bad. Obedience, because it embodies all of those things, right? Simple obedience. It's not even, it's not even that complex. Go pick up your sock. <laughs> like, that's not obedience. That's not even respect. That's not showing love either. But the idea of just simple obedience, it's the action of, of doing something. Say, yes, I will do it. That shows all those things that are important. It, it, it embodies everything. The simple act of obedience is really what the life of a Christian and the life of Christ asks for as a, as a follower. And that's what becomes difficult for us because we think it's all about us. We think the story was written for us, for us primarily, but it's not. We're part of the greatest story ever told, and it is the greatest story ever lived, and it will be the greatest story ever, ever to have garnished humanity. But... If you think of a story, you think of a, a movie, what, there, there is one or two, maybe two, but mostly one, there's one person who is what in that story? The main character, correct. There's the one person who is the main character, and that main character, guys, unfortunately, is not you, and is not me. It's not, it, 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 it may be the combined wholeness of us as a church, but it is God. It is, it is his story. This is God's story. We are the supporting cast, the supporting actors. As a body, as a church, as the body of Christ all, all over the world, we are part. We are, we are that, that second lead, if you will. But individually, 
We are supporting actors in the grand scheme of things, in the greatest story ever told. And for us to understand that God is holy, not because we, and we will not be holy because we can do anything. Just like Marcus said last week, God loves you not because you're lovable, but because he is love. God is holy and it has nothing to do with you. But he offers his holiness to us. So if you, if you, continue, to, if you continue to read and mature in scripture, the holiness is offered through obedience. Simple obedience. And that's hard for me because I, I'm, uh, I'm rebellious. I like, to, I like to do what I like to do. And you guys were, you, Billy and Troy were, were exa- examples of that when they were talking about their, their personalities. I felt like it was, I was at a, a really good marriage seminar. Like, everybody was like, yeah, yep, that's me. I know I said that because I'm, I'm like you sometimes in that way. And it's, it's, just, it's just that real for us. So just, but be refreshed, be, be encouraged that there is, there is really the only thing you can do is be obedient to what the scriptures have asked you to do. What's your faith and your calling, the calling that God has given you through the, the death, life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray for us right now. And we're going to get up and we're going to sing, we're going to sing another song together. And it's been a pleasure uh, talking with you guys. Like I said, I am a recovering youth pastor. Um, I get to work with, uh, I get to disciple youth pastors all over New England now, which is new for me. I spent this last week praying with, supporting, listening to youth pastors in New England as I went to their churches and saw and sat with them and prayed with them. And that's something I get to do now as a recovering youth pastor. Um, but it takes, it does take obedience to get here, but God is faithful. I'll leave you with that. Thank you, Lord, so much for the opportunity to share your truth, your love, your word uh, with, with uh, the body we call, we worship with, Lord. I pray that you would uh, go before us, uh, prepare the way, that snow would continue to fall in the land, and that we would be able to continue to point to the greatest co- creator the, that we have ever, ever, and will ever know. And help us to, help us to trust that when you say you will pass on your holiness to us at, out of love, that we will accept that through our obedience to you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.